Greetings and aloha, everyone. Welcome to episode three of season one of our solo episode series of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. Today is episode three, and the focus is Tonic Herbalism 101. And we have so much to cover in this episode together. So uh, I want to just really just dive headfirst with you. I really hope that you've been enjoying the episodes so far. We did Living Foods 101, we did Superfoods 101, and now we're doing Tonic Herbalism 101. And we have some interesting nuances, some interesting uh, little topics regarding herbalism that uh, I think is going to be really insightful. I have some unique perspectives that I've derived from my own personal experience, my own investigation over the last eight or nine years into herbalism and herbal systems all around the world, tonic herbalism, alchemy, um, you know, my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program, a huge focus of it and a huge inspiration of the entire context of that book was derived from my studies and my experience with herbalism and alchemy in general, or in particular, I should say. So I'd highly recommend getting that book. It's like $20 or something on Amazon. Very well worth the time. And um, it's, it's not a huge book. It's a small book, but it's a jam-packed. So definitely recommend that you order that. And, uh, well, let's just dive in. So we have a number of things that I want to get into right now with you. First of all, let me just share a little bit about my experience with herbalism. I basically got into tonic herbalism, I want to say a year or two into my raw food journey. Um, as I mentioned before, I started with living foods and I really got deep into that cleansing, detoxing, alkalizing my body, um, rebuilding the building blocks of my body through raw foods and superfoods and superfood smoothies and just really the basic building blocks of the whole thing. And then, um, you know, I'd say at least a year and a half or two years into it, I was exposed to herbs. And these were called super herbs or tonic herbs, very similar to the idea of superfoods. So in traditional herbal systems, and there's many herbal systems all around the world, there are literally thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands, or possibly even hundreds of thousands of herbs all over the world that have been um, used in different, different uh, cultures, different medicine wheel systems, food systems, medicine systems around the world. And out of all of the herbs that exist that have been identified and used on the planet, there is a small grouping of herbs that we would consider tonic herbs. And I want to break down a few definitions and a few terms that sometimes get thrown around. They may not be well understood. And I want to kind of give you guys a little bit of a road work education on tonic herbalism, some of the different ideas, and how to apply this wisdom and this knowledge into your life immediately, and really how to upgrade your understanding of health, of nutrition, and really the future of nutrition using the ancient wisdom teachings of, you know, ancient medicine systems. 
particularly Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and Amazonian medicine, Egyptian alchemical arts and also herbalism, um, European alchemy and European medicine, um, folk medicine and herbalism, um, Native American shamanism and herbalism, etc., etc. All of these things tie together. One of the things that I think is worth mentioning one of the observations I've had over the last 12 years or so of being in the natural food world, I've come across an incredible diversity of different personalities. You can only imagine, you know, traveling all over the world, doing over 300 live lectures um, with social media, all the different events and collaborations, all of the different interviews I've done with the podcast and things of this nature. I've been exposed to every type of personality that you can imagine from the super rigid raw foodist personality um, to all the, all the different diversities in that, that category to people more in the paleolithic, um, side of things, uh, people, uh, you know, just everything you can imagine, you know, physicians, doctors, all that kind of stuff. And one thing that I've noticed about herbalists in particular is that out of everybody, I want to say herbalists tend to be the most open-minded type of characters and personalities that I've ever come across, a lot of my mentors and people that I really respect, such as Dr. George Lamoureux, he is a, he's a mentor of mine in the Taoist Chinese medicine arts. Uh, he owns the company Jing Herbs. You can go to www.lifeforcefoods. I think it's, is that what, yeah, lifeforcefoods.com. That's a special link that he made specifically for me. I have a couple education videos there, and you can purchase um, Chinese tonic herbs there. And then also uh, Romania Dean Thomas. He owns a company called Shaman Check. He's a very dear friend of mine, friend of mine, colleague. I've interviewed both of these guys multiple times on the podcast. And, um, you know, these guys came from that background, but then they were open to the idea of raw foods and, and vegan and vegetarianism and superfoods. And this is just an interesting thing for me. So there's some kind of cross connection between the archetype of the shaman and also the archetype of the herbalist or the medicine man um, or medicine woman, that kind of that kind of archetype that plays out. And it's a little bit different than the archetype of the physician or the naturopath or even the nutritionist. I consider myself to be a renegade nutritionist, where the renegade nutrition archetype is that there are no boundaries. Uh, my foundation and my focus is on nutrition but there are no predefined barriers for what I can explore. I'm open to all possibilities. I'm open to all applications. And I'm looking to integrate the best of the best and also dissolve any walls, dogmas, boundaries that exist that are creating separation between collaborative, um, uh, collaborative complementary um, modalities and perspectives. So that's something that I thought was worth sharing. Now, getting into uh, tonic herbalism, there's a number of different things that I want to bring up here. First of all, let's talk about this idea of medicine versus herbalism. 
so when we talk about medicine, particularly in the Western, allopathic, more materialistic, scientismic, I didn't say scientific, I said scientismic, which is a whole different subject, something that we will have to go into in a different episode. But it's basically an adoption of materialism, hijacking the scientific method, but it's not exactly scientific. This is where all of basically Western medicine gets all of its its quote-unquote information from. And one of the, the key distinctions that everybody needs to understand between quote-unquote medicine, which is really just drugs. You know, when you go to the store and you get you go to the pharmacy, it doesn't say Long's Medicine, right? CBC or like Long's Drugs, the Long's Drugstore, right, where my grandmother would always go to get her, her prescription drugs. They flat out tell you that this is drugs. But then we have to illegalize natural drugs, plant-based quote-unquote drugs, right? Doesn't make any sense. It's doublespeak. It's Orwellian doublespeak. Whole other subject, but let's just put that on the table right there as we move forward. When we talk about herbalism, we're talking about actual medicine. So we have to flip these terms around because we it's kind of a schism that has been created through cultural conditioning. And so we want to think of drugs as the medicine when those are just basically pharmaceutical, synthesized, patent, patent, um, you know, chemicalized drugs like, you know, better living through chemistry, basically. But that has nothing to do with medicine. And sure, it has nothing to do with healing you. Most people already know that. But I feel like I need to just put that on the table as we move forward. Herbalism is true medicine and herbal medicine has been used throughout history through the dawn of human human foraging. And these plants have been around for however long we can go back into history. Now, there's so many different <laughs> there's so many different rabbit holes that I could go into with this subject because the the history, the documentation, the the stories, the mythology is so rich. Just when we talk about Chinese herbalism, but let's not forget there's also Ayurvedic tonic herbalism. There's also there's also shamanic cultures, which is going to, I think it'll be something we talk about a little bit later. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's South American herbalism and power plants and, and Amazonian herbalism and all these kind of things, right? So we're going to focus a little bit more on the, the defined terminology coming mostly from Chinese medicine and Taoist Chinese medicine in particular, because Chinese medicine has the, the most documentation and the most organized um, array of herbal wisdom in medicine that's ever been that's ever been developed. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're they have the best herbs. I, I think that my favorite is Chinese medicine for sure. But um, they're they're you know Ayurveda in Amazonian medicine or herbalism is absolutely extensive, but they haven't documented and organized their system to the degree that the Chinese system is organized. So we just defer to them because they have classified and predefined universal terms in the best way. And it's just the easiest way to get your foot into the door. Okay, so 
Um, now that we got that part out of the way, oh, by the way, no, there's one other thing I wanted to mention with this topic. When we look at all the major um, mortality causations, meaning we look at the number one causations for mortality in the Western world, in the world, you know, across the across the globe, there's three things that come up. The number one reason for death is heart disease, right? Most people are aware of this. The number one killer in the world is heart disease. The number one, ki- the number two killer in the world is all cancers combined. Not any one particular cancer, but all cancers combined. The number three categorized killer reason for death in the world is something called iatrogenics. Not to be confused with the company called Isogenics, which is something else and I don't promote them, but iatrogenics. Iatrogenics is defined as drug or physician-caused death, basically medical malpractice or drug-induced death. Now, they that that's already out there. Now, I would also say that that has to do with the mortality rate of all cancers combined. I'm not going to go into the statistics and all that, but let's just say that we know that one of the biggest killers in the world is because of the the allopathic uh, medical model, right? We already know that. So let's just put that on the table and let's get out of that system altogether and let's defer all of our attention and energy on real medicine, which is what we're here to talk about right now. Okay, so let's talk about herbalism, tonic herbalism versus um, inferior herbalism. So in the Chinese medical system, and I'm the Chinese, the Chinese herbal system, I'm going to define that in a minute too, but the Chinese herbal system, there's two, there's two approaches to herbal medicine. There's what's called inferior herbalism or medicinal herbalism, and then there's tonic herbalism. So inferior herbalism basically is a, is a response. It's a reactive approach similar to the allopathic model. It's a reactive approach to a symptom that somebody has. So if somebody has a cold, somebody has a digestive issue, somebody has um, a hormonal imbalance, they have an arthritic issue, whatever the case is, right? Whatever the symptom is. Just imagine how we've all grown up in our Western world where we get the common cold, we take uh, a vitamin C or ascorbic acid or something, or you know, you go to the doctor, right? That's kind of how that works. That's how we've all been trained. That would be a similar approach to inferior herbalism and there's certain herbs that are considered tonic herbs and there's certain herbs that are considered medicinal herbs. It doesn't mean that the medicinal herbs are worse. It just means that they're used to treat an inferior situation, meaning something that's acute or or potentially chronic, but it's, it's something that's showing up in the moment, right? That you're responding to. It's not something that you're doing to prevent necessarily. It's a different approach. So there's certain herbs like garlic, echinacea, golden seal, dandelion root, um, um, milk thistle, things that are, that are, uh, you know, address the liver, address certain specific areas of the body, that are unidirectional for the immune system, that drive the immune system up, but don't necessarily modulate it. 
um, different things like that. They, they affect the body in a, in a one directional way, typically to increase immunological function, to get a handle on the situation, but they don't create more of an adaptogenic, holistic functioning effect, which we'll talk about. Now, tonic herbalism is basically a type of herb and a, a practice of herbalism that is preventative. It's prophylactic, meaning done as a preventative measure. And, and the idea is that you're building up the holistic system of the human body. You're building up all the factions of your immune system. You're building up your endocrine system functionality. You're building up the, the adaptability of your nervous system and the resilience to stress and these kind of things. Let me, um, I want to read you something. I pulled this out of my book, but this is basically, um, this is from the, uh, I can't remember the exact, um, the exact institution, but it's basically the Institution for Chinese Medicine. And this is a direct definition, a direct set of principles for what constitutes a tonic herb. So the term tonic herbalism is a derivation of the Taoist tradition of China, but is also easily applies to all major forms of herbalism. So all herbal systems have the same similar approach. In order for an herb to be classified as a tonic, it must meet certain criteria as appointed by the traditional Chinese system of medicine. So the basic requirements go as follows. This herb must possess anti-aging or longevity enhancing properties. It must have a broad spectrum health promoting effect that works on all related systems of the body. A medical herb, a medicinal herb, tends to be specific to specific organs or localized points of the body, whereas tonic herbs work on the holistic system of the body. It must improve and enhance psychic slash psychological and emotional states of well-being. In other words, it contains profound anti-stress and anti-anxiety capabilities that are felt relatively quick and are sustained long-term with the increased frequency of usage. It must have no negative or toxic side effects when used in moderation or reasonable abundance. This means it should be completely safe to be taken virtually every single day, no different than common foods. In fact, most of the common foods of civilization to, tend to produce more toxic byproducts and are far more dangerous than any herb in this category within the same dosage. Tonic herbs do not have what's called an LD50 rate, meaning they do not contribute to the buildup of toxic byproducts in the liver with consistent use. And also, it must display at least one of the three treasure components as widely discussed in Taoist and Chinese medicine. We are going to do a separate episode coming up specifically on the three treasure philosophy, so we'll get into that um, a little bit later. So that is, those are the requirements and those are the definitions of what constitutes a tonic herb, which we are going to get into my favorite tonic herbs. Let's talk about um, a few other things. Now, when it comes to tonic herbalism in TCM, otherwise known as traditional Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine is, is more of a, a scientific, a scientificized, a way to, to create a scientific, little more of an allopathic model 
for the original Taoist teachings of herbalism, which 5,000 years ago, when a man named Shen Nong Benkao, basically he was known as the spirit farmer, and he was the originator of Chinese medicine, Chinese Taoist herbalism. The entire system was based on what's called wild food intuition. So he basically scoured the land and he didn't have Wikipedia. He didn't have Google, didn't have an encyclopedia. This was not found. These these were not documented or identifiable herbs. He was the first person to come across it. And he would just, um, he basically used what later came out as something called the doctrine of signatures, which is a food or an herb will denote its properties based on its appearance, based on its smell, based on its shape, its texture, um, the region that it grows best in, the climate, the, the, the environment, its, its characteristics basically, and it will, it will denote kind of its properties and what it does in the body. And there's some really, really fascinating examples of this when you dive deeper into all this kind of thing. So basically what he was doing is he categorized, I think, 350 herbs into his famous book, which was the treatise on what became Taoist Chinese herbalism and uh, traditional Chinese herbalism. So for thousands of years, this entire organized system was based on more of a spiritual, energetic approach, an intuitive approach. It was in a certain language that was not scientific because they didn't have what we know as scientific language back then. But then um, Ming Sung Tung, the emperor, he um, in China, what we call like the president, right? Um, in the, the oh man, I'm getting my dates a little mixed up here, so please forgive me. I have all this documented. It's been a while since I've gone over this, but I believe in the late 1800s, he, um, he, he wanted to adapt the Taoist system and the language around it to more of a, a westernized um, medical model that was similar but still retain you know the principles like acupuncture and the meridians and the the energy systems and the chi and all that kind of stuff right so it, there is still elements of that but it has also become more allopathic in nature and i've noticed over the years of talking to people that are more affiliated with Taoism and Taoist herbalism versus strictly China, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, there is a significant difference in personality. There's a significant difference in the approach that these different different um, people are taking. And that thing I mentioned about herbalists being more open-minded – I found that the most open-minded herbalists are those that have more of a Taoist perspective. The Chinese, and I'm not, tr I'm not talking bad about traditional Chinese medicine, don't get me wrong, but I've noticed there is more of a rigid, one-size-fits-all kind of approach. There is more of this like allopathic-ish. It's more like a naturopathic in-between model, but it's not really where we're going in my personal perspective. I think that bringing back the Taoist teachings is really brings it to a whole nother level and um, creates more of this openness and this availability for upgrading our medicine systems and upgrading our approaches and, and how we upgrade and optimize our lifestyle, integrating the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical approach and all relative dietary systems 
that may not fit into the Chinese, the traditional Chinese model, because certain there's certain ideas and principles that oppose, due to rigid perspectives that oppose um, things like raw living food, for example. Um, there is an idea of what's called the damp wet spleen, and I've noticed. Taoist herbalists are very open. They're, they kind of n- understand the nuances and understand it's not like black and white. And you actually have the herbs to deal with a damp wet spleen. A damp wet spleen, by the way, is like the equivalent to the bedding ground for what we would call candida. It's basically a swampy, wet, digestive environment. There's not enough hydrochloric acid. There's not enough salt, basically, sodium to produce the gastric acids that would incinerate and burn up the food and otherwise the digestive fire is not available. Um, And this has an emotional connotation as well. But their concern is that if you eat wet food, you're going to perpetuate a damp wet spleen, which is not entirely true if you have the right approach, right? Just like everything. It's not all black and white. But I've noticed more of a rigid perspective when it came to traditional Chinese medicine. And I've, I've actually got into like debates and stuff and I've had it out with people um, about this. And I've, I've actually been yelled at <laughs> before by people. It's really interesting. But anyways, so traditional Chinese medicine, Taoist tonic herbalism, they're complementary approaches, but they're not exactly the same. So this is important for you to know as you're navigating these fields. Um, okay, so I want to – there's two more terms that I want to talk about before I go into my favorite tonic herbs here. There is a term called adaptogens. So ultimately in my perspective, what defines a tonic herb is its adaptogenic properties. Now, an adaptogen ultimately is what it is, is it's a substance which also exists in superfoods, by the way, which is not common to most common foods. I would say like from a food perspective, I would use the inferior herbalism model for most food, most like, you know, what we would call like actual food, you know, like real food raw food, for example, in, in wild foods, um, blueberries and all that kind of thing I harped on on, my, on our last episode. And then the tonic or adaptogen perspective when it comes to food would be more like superfoods, aloe vera, noni fruit, um, cacao to some extent, maca for sure. Maca is an adaptogen, by the way, and it is an herb in that system, in the, the um in the Andean kind of uh, Peruvian South American system, it is an adaptogen essentially. Um, you know, bee products, bee, bee pollen, for example, has an adapt has an adaptogenic quality. Um, you know, these superfoods actually are adaptogens in their own right. So that's an interesting way. I've never said that before, and I certainly haven't heard anyone else say that. But that's an interesting way to apply the same principle to our food because. Um, as Hippocrates once said, the, the pretty much the godfather of, of holistic health, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. This is an important distinction. I'm so glad I remembered to say this. Let food be thy medicine, right? So the food that you eat should be medicine and let the medicine that you consume be food and otherwise let it be in the form of food. 
For example, the number one rule, and I'm getting back to this adaptogen thing, the number one rule by um, Doc, uh, Ron Teagard, not Dr. Ron Teagard, but by Taoist tonic herbal master who owns Dragon Herbs, who brought Chinese herbalism to America, Ron Teagarden, he says the number one rule with herbalism is compliance. So the herbs don't do anything if you don't take them, basically, right? You know, and this is the big thing is like a lot of herbs are bitter. There's, in, man, this brings into a whole nother thing. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to bring in a whole other set of ideas into the three treasure episode coming up because then we're talking about the five flavors. And that this is a whole, this is a whole download in of itself. Then there's the elemental perspective of Chinese medicine. So this stuff gets really deep. I'm going to digress though. So it's compliance. So in Ayurveda, they have this, this thing called uh, Shivam Prash. And basically you take honey, you put your bitter herbs in the honey, you roll it up into a little honey ball, and then you consume it. Or that, that would be more China. No, they, they do that in the Chinese system. In, in Ayurveda, the Shivam Prash, you might use honey, but they take ghee. And ghee is clarified butter, right? Purified uh, cow's butter. And then they, they, they put the herbs into that and they might use a little honey as well. I think they, they basically do honey, ghee, and then your herbs. And you could put other superfoods in it. There's different products on the market now that people are doing that. And then that's how you take it in. That's called compliance. You are able to comply with the prescription, the herbal prescription, but it also is like you're not gagging it down. Same thing with making tonics, by the way. You know, chocolate herbal tonics is an incredible way to drive in the medicine, particularly because cacao is a vasodilator. So it dilates the capillaries of the blood and drives in the herbal medicine. It's a lot more fun. There's endorphins and and feel-good chemicals that enhance the properties, that potentize it or potentiate it, and you could put in some sweetener or something and just make it fun, you know, make herbalism fun. So adaptogens, back to that. So an adaptogen is something that makes you more adaptogenic. It works on the whole system of the body, particularly regulating the nervous system. The stress response of the parasympathetic and sympathetic and central nervous system Um, As an example, coffee stimulates the central nervous system and drives the energy upwards. It's unidirectional, but it doesn't modulate and it doesn't allow you to be more adaptable. It actually makes you less resilient over time with chronic stress, especially if someone's using coffee to tranquilize their emotions or to deal with stress that they're not adapted to handle you ultimately have to change your lifestyle and change things in your life so you can get back to balance and in the Chinese system my uh, one of my mentors and colleagues Romania Dean Thomas he calls coffee false fire so they use elemental perspectives like fire water um, earth air wood metal they use these different elements as as energetic caricatures to describe certain energies in the body and um, and the fire is like energy or digestion, right? They call it false fire, which is very telling of the energy of coffee. And coffee, it would be like, you know, it does have drug-like qualities for sure. But um, you know, that's a whole other that's a whole other story, obviously. Uh, where was I going with this? So adaptogens. 
<laughs> adaptogens. So from a scientific perspective, adaptogen is, oh, what's the definition? Let me look it up. It's uh, actually, I don't need to look it up. It's basically a loosely, the loose definition of an adaptogen is something that has a non-specific response on the body. So dandelion root has a specific or milk thistle has a specific focus on the liver that's a that's an individuated localized organ of the body right and adaptogen has a holistic adaptogenic resilience enhancing factor to it we can leave it at that the last term that i want to break down before we move on here is immunomodulation immunomodulators so an immunomodulator is basically an immune system adaptogen. It helps to regulate the immune system. And let's say, for example, somebody has an underactive immune system and they need to bring it upwards. An immunomodulator, something that has immunomodulating, immunobalancing effects, will bring the immune system upwards, but it won't drive it upwards like garlic or echinacea or a golden seal will drive it upwards, but won't regulate it. It doesn't really have the intelligence that an immunomodulator does. Those things are what we would call in the medical model immunostimulants. And then there's also immunosuppressants. So we know this with like HIV research and cancer research. A lot of our autoimmune conditions in particular, a lot of uh, the drugs on the market for autoimmune conditions are immunosuppressants. So you have immunostimulants, immunosuppressants. Immunosuppressants suppress the immune system, which makes sense on paper, but is actually a really, really bad approach because your immune system is the governing force of your entire your entire body, your biology, your physiology, everything going on with you is based on immune system function. Um, and we're going to be doing an entire episode on immunological empowerment coming up. So stay tuned for that. So immunomodulators will either regulate upwards or downwards and find that, that perfect harmonic equilibrium point that empowers your immune system um, given the lifestyle and the herbs and the food and your diet and, and all that kind of thing is all in alignment. So, okay, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot of stuff to throw at you. So in the time that we have left, I want to talk to you about some of my favorite herbs. I'm not going to go into great detail about this for time and also I don't want to overwhelm you. Um, there's resources that I've put together that go into greater detail about these herbs so you can look them up. Um, I'm going to talk about my favorite, my top 10 favorite herbs and this is hard for me because um, I'm such a student of herbalism, and I have so many different favorite herbs from different systems. I'm just going to go through what I think are the, the ones that come to my mind immediately, and then um, I'll give some honorable mentions, and then I'll give some resources where you can learn a lot more about herbalism, and you can immediately get access to the best herbs on the market. So let's see here. Let's start with, uh, well, before we go into honorable mentions, I'm going to just say my favorite herbs. So goji berry, otherwise known as lyceum, is actually a Chinese tonic herb. And in the Chinese medical system, the medicine system, the herbal system, um, they actually, lyceum is the, the Chinese name for goji berry. We know it as goji berry or as wolf berry. This is... Um, grown all around the world, particularly in, and you can find, you can wild forage it all over Arizona. 
obviously throughout China where it originates from. And lyceum is known as the gateway herb for all of the rest of the Chinese herbalism, herbal system. And they call it, um, it loosely, the, the name lyceum loosely translates into Plato's school of learning. And what is said about this is if you learn about lyceum, aka goji berry, and you really play with this and you bring it into your diet, it will begin to teach you about the rest of the herbal system. That's a very interesting perspective to have about it, something to know about. It certainly was the first herb that I got into. Um, I didn't really know it was a herb. I got into superfoods and then I got into goji berry and lo and behold, sometime after that, I did get into Chinese medicine and the rest of the herbal system. So it does have an interesting um, connotation there. There's so many things we could talk about with Lyceum, uh, otherwise known as goji berry, but we got to keep moving forward. The next one is Shizandra berry. Shizandra berry is absolutely incredible. So much to say about it. One of the things I will say about it real quick is that Shizandra berry has a very unique quality to it. It has all of what are called the all of the, the flavors um, and the flavors, as I'll discuss a little bit later in a different episode, are not just like flavors that you taste. All the flavors correlate to different organ systems in the body. Okay, so basically Shizandra is the ultimate adaptogen. And it also affects what's called phase one and phase two detoxification, which is a cycle of detoxification um, which we will talk about in an episode entirely devoted to cleansing and detoxing. Um, the next one is astragalus. Astragalus is incredible. One of the premier anti-aging longevity herbs. Um, two things about astragalus. One of the things is that it is known as an herb that can increase what's called upright chi. Upright chi is basically an up, upward moving levitational energy within the body that helps somebody. It actually helps your posture. Um, chi in general keeps your posture upright. And so there's a, there's a lot of interesting stories about astragalus. One of the other things about it is that it has a compound that has been studied for increasing what are called telomeres, astragaloside uh, 4, astragaloside 6, astragaloside, it's been years since I've gotten into that one, um, but it has a particular compound that is intrinsic for increasing telomere production, which is one of the biomarkers for longevity. It might be the number one studied biomarker for longevity. The next one is Ho Shu Wu, Ho Shu Wu, Ho Shu Wu, incredible longevity herb, incredible what's called yin jing herb, which basically means that it's deeply restorative. It has a restoration effect on the adrenal glands, which also correlate to your lower back energy. Um, you know, it, it, it's a calming herb. It's, it's a longevity enhancing herb. It's actually also a beauty enhancing herb and a fertility enhancing herb. A lot of great stories in legend and lore about Hoshiwu. The next one is Eucomia bark. Eucomia bark is a type of bark that comes from what's called a rubber tree. And upon studying this, this herb, they found that it has almost like a snakeskin-like latex um, material to it. 
And what the properties are of it is that it supports in in actually strengthening what's called the sinews or the tissues of your body. So your your cartilage, your connective tissue, your fascia, all the, the material that holds your bones and your muscle tissue together um, it works on all of that. Your joints are very good for, for athletic recovery, sports recovery, longevity, all that kind of stuff. It also has a vigor, a, vir- a virility and fertility enhancing effect as well. The next herb is Makuna prurians. And Makuna comes out of the Ayurvedic system. Makuna would definitely be in my top five favorite tonic herbs. And Makuna is the highest source of something called L-DOPA, Leva-DOPA. L-DOPA is the precursor molecule for the neurotransmitter hormone dopamine. And this has been widely studied in Parkinson's research in particular because Parkinson's, similar to MS, but Parkinson's in particular is largely, it's a neuromuscular disease or degenerative condition that breaks down the motor function um, through the myelin sheath in particular of the nervous system. And it's a dopamine deficiency we come to find out. So dopamine has a lot to do with our motor function, which is really fascinating. And so if we've blown ourselves out on stimulants and excessive dopaminergic activities, pleasure reward centers of the brain, um, chasing pleasure, avoiding pain, that kind of thing, Um, We need something that helps us produce more endogenous dopamine, and Makuna um, is is that herb. Makuna actually has pharmaceutical levels of dopamine in it, so very, very potent, incredible adaptogen. The next one is ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is one of the most famed, if not the most revered, adaptogen in the entire system of Ayurveda, one of its premier qualities is its effect on thyroid health. It has a modulating effect on thyroid health. That's one of the ways that's used in respiratory health and just energy, just increasing natural energy. So that's ashwagandha. Um, let's see how many we've gone through. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the next one that I'm going to bring up is Shilajit. Shilajit is it's 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 categorized as an herb. Let's just call it an herb. It's it's really what's called a mineral pitch, which is a mineralized tar-like substance. This is an Ayurvedic um, derived uh, medicine, and it's a tar-like substance that is born out of the earth. So let's just call it a mineral earth compound that's used as an herbal medicine. And in Ayurveda, they call it the destroyer of weakness. So this is Shilajit. Shilajit. It comes in different forms. The most potent form is in the resin. So in the actual resin tar material. And um, there's, it's, it's actually become quite popular in the alternative kind of upgraded superfood world. In different ways you can find it. You can mix it with the Shivan Prash. You can mix it with honey. You can take it straight like I do. I'm kind of predisposed to these things because one of the things about herbalism is that the, the taste of it, kind of like the five flavor theory, when you taste the bitterness of it, it connects right to the heart because bitter connects to the heart. So things that are bitter are heart-based. 
cardiovascular based, right? Um, when you taste the bitter, the fact that the acknowledgement and the experience of it in of itself has some kind of effect on the, the enhancement of health in of, in of itself. It has something to do with consciousness or just the way that our biology works, something like that. So Shilaji is potent and powerful. Um, I'm going to just skip over and go into uh, really my favorite classification of herbs is the medicinal mushrooms. The medicinal mushrooms, I had to make that as a category. My favorite herb in the world, by the way, is a medicinal mushroom called reishi mushroom, ling shi. Um, in Chinese medicine, that's what's called ling shi. And it's 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 the it's the it's the queen. It's the queen of all medicinal mushrooms. That's that's what they call it. Shaga mushroom is basically considered the king of the medicinal mushrooms. Um, reishi mushroom, in my opinion, is the most important herb in the entire world. If I could only recommend one herb for everybody to saturate themselves and get started with. It's reishi mushroom, also called the great protector, the herb of spiritual potency, the herb of great fortune. There's so much to be said about this that I can't even get started. But in my programs, in my book, particularly the Inner Alchemy Youthing Program, I go very deep into this mushroom as well as the other medicinal mushrooms like shaga mushroom. Inonitis obliquus is its Latin binomial. And uh, shaga, shaga mushroom is absolutely incredible, on par with reishi, different energies, different kind of, yeah, different, a little bit different energies, but very similar um, physiological benefits. Then we also have cordyceps mushroom, cordyceps sinensis. And I mean, this is, I mean, these, if you go to life food herbs, is it life? It's life food. I said life force earlier. It's lifefood.com. This is my partnership website with jingherbs.com. All these mushrooms that I'm mentioning, I do a five minute introduction video on all of them. So when you go to that website, I go, I give you an actual explanation on those specific mushrooms. What else? We have agaricus blazi. Um, lion's mane mushroom, lion's mane, how could we possibly forget about that? Lion's mane is the premier mushroom, premier tonic herb specifically for regenerating neurogrowth factors um, of the brain, of the nervous system, the myelin sheath, which protects the, the insulation of the nervous system for um, neurodegenerative prevention and recovery. Um, it's absolutely incredible. So look, these are my favorite tonic herbs. You only need to get started with a couple of them. And if you go to lifefoodherbs.com, you're going to find the highest quality Chinese tonic herbs on the market. Um, highly recommend getting started with, with everything if you can, but really getting started with just a handful of these and there's a couple videos on that website that gives you more information. One last thing I want to mention before I let you go here is that if you want to go deeper into you want to go deeper into herbalism, you want to learn tonic herbal alchemy recipe, blender alchemy, I would highly recommend that you enroll for my miniature course the Tonic Herbal Mastery Program. It's a 40-video course, not the same as my Holistic Health Mastery Program. That's more of a, a, a complete, co comprehensive 
nutrition certification course. The Tonic Herbal Mastery Program is a 40-video course, and it's normally $297. If you either email me at ronnie at holistichealthmastery.com or you send me a message either on Instagram or Facebook, um, and you want to get started with the course, I will give you a $97 off that course. So it'll only come out to $200 even. You have complete access. There's no time limits. There's 20 different tonic herbal recipes using herbs from all over different herbal systems. If you learn this art, you will be taken care of forever. In terms of your health and your nutrition and your sophistication of herbalism and uh, you know health and holistic health and wellness, it's just a whole nother level. So that's the Tonic Herbal Mastery Program. Um, we are me and my team for my online courses are readapting my entire website and all of our systems to a new system. So. You can go to RonnieLandis.net to learn more information, but the, the official website is being recreated. That's why I say just connect with me directly at Ronnie at or Facebook or Instagram. Send me a private message. Let me know that you're interested in getting started with the Tonic Herbal Mastery Program, and I will give you a $97 off coupon to get started. And again, also to get your tonic herbs, go to lifefoodherbs.com and uh, you know they'll help you get started. So that is my 101 on tonic herbalism. We didn't even get into any Amazonian herbs, which is a whole nother thing. Um, you know, this, this was enough. This was a lot. This was a lot to, to process. So just dig into this, um, take it in, integrate it, practice it. I hope you enjoyed. And I'll see you on episode four.